I really hope that we see more and more small producers taking that leap because, you know, as scary as it is and, and you know, as much work and, and um, paperwork and logistics that there are to work out, it's such a fantastic, rewarding industry. Hope, a leap of faith and a strong sense of community are at the core of this interview as I talk with the wonderful humans who are Marla and Kel Gray from the Pines in Kiama, New South Wales. My name is Dan Sims and welcome back to the Mold Cheese Collective podcast. This is where we speak to the makers, growers, farmers and families who just happen to make the best cheese in Australia. There is so much here in this conversation today and speaks so much about going with your gut, making a leap of faith and drawing strength from the community around you. And of course, that wonderful word that is very much of the theme here, resilience. And when I say community, that includes you, dear listener and Mold Cheese Festival champions, as you're a part of this as well, as you've played a significant role in giving Kel and Marla confidence and assurance that they're on the right path. As I say, this is a fantastic conversation, so let's get into it. Kel and Marla Gray, welcome to the Maltese Collective Podcast. How are you guys doing? Good. Thank you for having us. Yeah, really well. Thank you. So first of all, just to kick us off, um, tell us a little bit about yourselves, uh, the Pines and and why Kiama? You can go on this one. Right. Well, we didn't have much choice about where it was. We're an intergenerational family farm, so uh, it's been a dairy farm since 1854 and Cal's family have been farming, dairy farming on this land since then. Um, so the location was always kind of set in stone, but we, when we moved back on a farm, which was in 2008, we knew that we had to do something a little bit different. It was no longer commercially viable just to milk cows. So we threw around some ideas and um, we settled on cheese making. In a roundabout way, it took us a little while to get actually into cheese making. Yeah, we um, we set a business plan and, and, you know, took it to the bank and they were like, hell no. Um, <laughs> let's see a bit more of a, a cash turnover. <laughs> so we um, we played around, we bottled some milk, we made a bit of gelato and, and the pines was born. Um, and then a few years into that, that's when we, we hit the cheese making. So you're saying, so how long has the family been on the farm? Uh 1854, so what are we that's up to, fantastic. 166 years or something. Yeah. That's amazing. And it's been a dairy farm the entire time. Yeah, no one's got any smarter. <laughs> haven't worked out anything else yet. <laughs> Just repeat. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, so we've been here a long time. I think it was, it's been up and down in sort of scale in terms of how big our operation, how many cows are being milked and um as Marla said, in recent years, it's the first time we've been evaluating. So it's really sort of making a consumable product that goes straight to the consumer. That's an incredibly long time. You must have seen some changes in the industry, especially from dairy throughout that period. I mean, through we've touched on before, we talked about drought and prices and all that type of thing. I mean, that must have been it's an amazing journey for the farm yeah well we're pushing the envelope now in sort of where we're taking it and how we're operating the land itself so that creates a little bit of conflict with the last generation and this generation <laughs> uh, but what we have noticed is, yeah things like droughts and that sort of stuff when we had the big drought last year it was really hard but there's no sympathy from my father because he's been through them many times before so it's just sort of head down bum up and get on with it 
get, get on with it. So, Marlo, so, now you're, you're from New Zealand, is that right? Yeah, yep. I was born and raised in New Zealand and it wasn't until uh, 2005 I moved over to Australia and um, I met Kel uh, Skiing, of all places, in Threadbow. I didn't know he was a dairy farmer. <laughs> 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 when it's we not met. a selling point. <laughs> that wasn't on the resume. Yeah, no way. <laughs> Better off being a lifty. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, we, we, once that was kind of came out in the in the wash, we knew we knew straight away that when we moved back to Kayama, we would be back on farm and and doing something a little bit different. That had to kind of happen straight away. So. We moved back with the intention to, to do a little something. So um, obviously so you were saying you were skiing and I mean, how was, you know, what were you doing in New Zealand prior? Oh, I was, I, I, my background's horses. So I was riding, um, riding horses and working um, in polo and doing a, a whole bunch of other stuff, <laughs> not cheese related. Um, however, the, the kind of um, my veterinary nursing background and the, and the large animal handling, it, it has kind of worked quite well being back on farm and um, the area that I love the most is, is genetics and working on kind of improving the herd um, through the breeding that we're doing. Um, so we were pro- predominantly Holstein breeders um, and, and Cal's dad's been a long time developing a beautiful um, Holstein herd, which is great if you're just after huge quantities of milk, which we, we no longer are. So we've really spent a long time uh, the last six years, diversifying the genetics in the herd and bringing in more um, cheese-making qualities that we want in our um, in our milk for the cheese. So we've um, been crossbreeding the herd with, let me say, with some Fleckvia and then some Normandy and and pulling in a bit of Pinsgar genetics now. So a big big transition, and I think that's what um, I, I kind of bring to the table is that that knowledge and that kind of desire to see an improvement um, through through crossbreeding. I always find that so fascinating of how farmers can sort of do that breeding to focus on think of the actual product and how to sort of get the best elements out of out of all of that and then transfer that through to cheese. So obviously let's let's talk about cheese for a second. You said you went to the the bank and they had a bit of a giggle, but what was it about cheese in the first place that you went, you know what, let's do this? It's my favourite dairy product. That's just a given. It's by far my favourite. What I like about cheese, though, is its ability to tell a story and it's a transformation from sort of this raw milk product that can go anywhere. Yeah, you can really move it in so many different directions to tell the story of what your farm's doing, what your cattle are doing and what you want to do. I like that about cheese. When it comes down to it, it's a very simplistic product, but there's just it's so much variety in it. Yeah, I guess the technical aspect of cheese making too, like, we can spend we could spend a lifetime working on a cheese and still not have it exactly where we want it. You know, there's always so many ways to improve it. Um, and I think for us, when we started out, we were just bottling milk and making gelato, which is great and people love it. But for us, we were like, well, we need a bit more of a challenge. You know, if we're going to stay in this in this industry for a long time, which we want to do, um, you know, we need to really really love the the nuts and bolts of of getting in there and actually making a product that we're proud of um and it's it's an ongoing you know it changes day to day if it's depending on the weather or depending on the herd health or depending on all these elements that, that play into you know kind of getting getting milk that's we're going to turn into cheese and it, it's a challenge and it's exciting seasonality with cheese is something that we've sort of touched on a little bit with on on the podcast and 
and one thing I, I remember when we were starting out with the mould, um, the festival itself was trying to when is the right time find that that milking period because again we are talking it's an agricultural product the cows still need milking uh, so do the sheep and the goats when is your season or is it sort of continue ongoing is it uh, and what sort of differences do you see in the quality of milk from season to season we milk all year round so it's what we call a rotation herd so it's almost like one in one out um, with calving all year round so you're trying to get a fairly fairly flat line for production of um of milk and that that's a result of years and years of selling to someone else for a a certain amount of money um it's kind of the habit that we've we've got at the moment in terms of seasonality and milk um since we've been producing and it's interesting you bring up the first mold and looking at events on that first mold event we did the batches i had there were two and three of cheese so that was it we (laughs) The very first we ate had made. batch one ourselves <laughs> and then turned up with two I had and no three. idea. <laughs> and that's all the cheese we had. Yeah, like, we emptied. It Cal- certainly didn't Cal- taste like Cal- it. Cal-, Cal drove down with like our entire stock of cheese and it wow. was so funny because he had people, you know, restaurateurs and stuff saying, can, you, can we get a wheel? And he's like, I haven't made any more. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so that's, like, what's that, two and a half years now? Yeah. Two and a half of three years ago. Yeah, and to be perfectly honest, in those two and a half years since then, we haven't had seasons here in Kaima. We've had um, very dry or wet or okay. And the actual seasonality has not come into it, unfortunately. So, yes, that affects milk and it can affect milk quality. Um, at the moment, we've recently in the last six months transitioned to grass-fed only herd. And so at the moment, we've got a beautiful flavoured milk. There's not a lot of it but the flavour is incredible. The proteins are much stronger than they were um, than we had two years ago, so we're getting a great yield in our, in our cheese making and, and the way it flows into the stainless steel vat looks incredible. It's, it flows differently than what it did two years ago. But it's more sort of what the weather's doing lately than the actual season, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, and one of, the, one of the biggest changes for us has been like the input feeding. We just, we just could not justify having to feed our herd huge quantities of grain or hay and it, you know, it's really led the decisions for us in in moving in towards regenerative farming is that you know we need an animal that can just eat pasture and make beautiful mil- milk from from just pasture alone and and that's been our you know our end goal is to kind of create a herd that can can do that and it, it just takes time you know and I think last year for us in, a, in quite an extreme drought we just had we had to lock up the entire farm we just had to, you know, kind of rest that land and try and um, keep the root systems alive and just maintain some sort of ground cover. So, you know, when we did have some rain, the, the farm shot back into life quite quickly, which was really, really encouraging to see. Um, and we had a better quality milk as soon as that happened. So, you know, we can see those variances, but, it, you know, as far as um, impacting what we can and can't make, there's only we, we only make three different cheeses, so we, we don't, you know, it's not like we lose half our range. It's just we have to just trickle through what we can and and uh, make ends meet. It's uh, oh, <laughs> what farmers go through, uh, and in particularly this year, um, you're saying you know, going from drought and straight into well, 2020. Um, which started off with obviously fires and that got pretty close to you guys. Is that right? Yeah, um, I think the closest was about 30 k's, which 
doesn't sound like much, but with the prevailing winds in that period during January, we, we felt quite safe here. Um, it was going to take an extraordinary event to get anywhere near us. Um, what it did do is it shut down the south coast for tour- tourism and shut down all our outlets that we had for our products. So uh, normally January is our busiest time of year. We can barely keep up. We just dried off cattle, as many cattle as we could, and kind of <laughs> managed through with uh, relying on local sales in our town pretty much. And then straight into a global pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. As they say, 2020 is going to be something our children study at school. It's going to be one of those sort of yeah, subjects to study. It's been that eventful. Just, again, I so admire the resilience and that, that to, to go one thing after another is um, it's it's full on. Like I, I, I just find it incredible that guys still smiling and still doing it. It's, uh, it's inspiring. It's totally inspiring. I think I think one of the biggest things, and I know you know, listening through the other podcasts, you know, people are touching on the same subject, is that we've been able to, you know, just take a little minute to breathe and and think about you know our business as a whole and and what we're doing and and really nut out how the next little while looks for us. Um, and it's been you know, you know as hard as it's been, but it's been a really great positive focus. Is that one thing that we can control at the moment is what's happening on farm. So really being able to improve the quality of the soil and, and go right back to all those regenerative farming models and and learn and we're spending a lot of time just, um, you know, listening to as many podcasts as we can and talking to people on different um, websites and, and, and getting as much information so we can kind of tackle um, making our farm and our soil and our grass better. Um, and it's that's quite positive because we, we're out in the paddocks and we're seeing some really great results and, you know, you can kind of step away from all the doom and gloom and the rest of the world falling into chaos and just go, well, hang on, well, you know, this is okay. We're is okay. We're getting on top of it. And, and we're seeing, you know, we're seeing some really great results. And I think that's the one thing that keeps us kind of getting out of bed every morning because otherwise, I don't know, you have to be a bit deranged. That and the kids. <laughs> oh, yeah, and the kids, yeah. And, and so how, how big is the property? 170 acres. Far out. And then how many head? Uh, well, we're milking 24. We call ourselves a micro dairy. Yeah, it's well below average in Australia. I think the average for a cow dairy now is over 300. Yeah. Um, and you'd want about a thousand acres to run that. So 24. You're milking 24 cows. Yeah. Tiny. Yeah, it's really small. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there were. Like, that's that is small yeah yeah but that's the thing you know we don't need a huge volume of milk um you know to make the cheeses that we do and and it's it's been nice that we you know even now we're we're looking at stepping back the the bottling side of the business and and just concentrating on cheese making we're finally in a place where we you know we've got the the maturation room up and running and we're happy with how things are, are going and it's like right now's the time just to step in and that's it you know just do what we've always dreamed of doing. It's taken us, you know, maybe eight years longer than it should have, but, you know, we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the journey, not the destination, That's right. as I say. <laughs> but, well, let's talk about cheese, obviously, being this is a cheese podcast. And in particular, maybe touch on the pearl, because that's going to be in the, in, the, in the box that we've got coming up. What was the inspiration behind that cheese? And, you know, t- tell us a little bit about it. It's a semi-hard cheese. It's um, loosely, I said loosely, based on sort of the Alpine styles. In perfect honesty, it was started because the equipment I had 
where I was bottling milk, I could manipulate to make cheese. So that's sort of why Pearl, how Pearl originated. And then since then, there's been quite a bit of development. We wanted to make a cheese that was, in terms of the make days, very simplistic. We're not doing a lot to the milk. We're not adding a lot of culture to it or anything like that so that we can gain the flavour of what that milk was on that specific, at that specific time um, and sort of accentuate it over a 12-month period. Um, so that's the idea behind Pearl is that it is a simple cheese that you really, we're not trying to overdo it. We're not trying to do too much to this one. It's more about what we don't do, I guess. Oh, that's always those things, isn't it, when people say simple. Simple's hard yeah. <laughs> to do well. Yeah, there's a lot of observations. Um, say, oh, it's really simple. It's like, no, but that's really tough to do and yes. it's such a delicious beautiful cheese that i know you say simple but how, how long did you say it aged for uh, these ones are 12 months yeah so for how um we talk uh, obviously with that aging process how much um uh, in wine when we talk about aging wine there's that angel share um how much to sort of suppose that you know over that 12 month period concentrates those flavors i mean how, what's that sort of difference between you know, when you first make it to the final product? Uh, in terms of volume, it's not too much. It all depends on your maturation room and, and sort of what the parameters are of that room or how they're working together to sort of hold that um, hold that cheese together, I guess, and, and to get to keep as much there and just to keep developing and developing and developing those flavours you're after. Uh, for us, that's been a, one of the hardest manoeuvres in the last couple of years is that maturation room. Um, we didn't we we didn't want to sort of lose the areas we had available to us on the farm. So instead of going and building something brand new, we've used a very old concrete silo that my great grandfather and his father built at the turn of last century. So it's you know six inches thick, the hardest concrete you've ever felt in your life, especially when you're trying to cut a doorway into it. <laughs> And so we've kind of lined that now and, and it's, the inside of that is our cheese cave. But all the components for that, you know, you think you'll just put cheese in it and it'll be perfect and um, how wrong we were mm. so many times over. <laughs> so it's an ongoing sort of, um, yes, I guess. It's, it's taken lots of tweaking, you know. We, we constantly looking at trying to improve, you know, humidity and, and you know, get consistent temperatures and, and we're trying to do it, you know, with efficient energy and that's one thing that our farm is lacking in. Um, you know, we really had to look at things like heat conversion and, and trying to get this room working in the most efficient way but hitting the perimeters that we wanted it to. It, it, it was an ongoing <laughs> headache. You know, there was always something going wrong and then we'd have a hot day and then it would, you know, the motors in there would, would have a little freak out and the temperature would rise and we'd have to play around with it again and, you know, we'd have power cuts and we'd be out there in all hours trying to get the generator on to get it running and, you know, just constant battle. Um, and it's only recently in the last probably six months that it's finally performing <laughs> the way we want it to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's worth it because it's a beautiful room. It's a beautiful space. Um, and it's an area, you know, we don't we don't feed grain anymore. We don't need a grain silo sitting there right in the middle of production. Yeah. So it was a kind of a perfect alternative use for it. But, yeah, yeah just nothing, nothing was easy <laughs> with that room. Oh. It'd be, again, simple. Yeah, just simple. Just having a maturation <laughs> room in a, in a grain silo. It's simple. It's easy. So yeah. simple. <laughs> These are some of the problems when you do have too much time. The ideas that creep into your head. <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, 
we just wanted easy. to find a cave. We, we honestly, we walked a whole, the whole 170 acres thinking, come on, there's got to be a cave in this damn hill somewhere. somewhere. Uh, there wasn't. So that was the next best. Yeah. Oh, I know what you mean about uh, having time. My, whenever I go on holiday, my staff always freak out because I always come back with, so I've had a couple of ideas. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, God, no. Yes. <laughs> it is, yeah. isn't it? Go out there at sunrise after you've milked some cows and, you know, change your fence as the sun's coming up and your brain's going a million miles an hour about, oh, I wonder what I could do today. Yeah. And four hours later when you're cutting into a grain silo with a, <laughs> I can just you please send me some photos. There must be a photo of you with some sort of massive. There, yeah, I've got know. some good. I've got some good. Photos. Please send me some photos of that. I just want to see Kel's <laughs> massive. I don't know concrete thing, just oh. being all blokey and you know very fun. There's, lot, I, I there's love lots it. of swearing, lots of swearing involved <laughs> in that activity. <laughs> Was there a cheese moment? that really got you hooked and that can be sort of anywhere not necessarily a cheese but was there an experience that really brought you to cheese as Marla said when we first came back to the farm many years ago we knew sort of cheese is where we wanted to go it would have been about a year later i guess no, like, 2011 i think yeah three years later yeah. i'm not good with years details <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was just the other day we took off to to Europe and Marla wanted to have a European holiday and I wanted to have a European holiday that I might be able to sneak off and find some cheese destinations. And so we sort of negotiated everywhere we went, had cheese somewhere close by and involved. I guess there's two for me to stand out. There was a, a friend of mine I skied with for many years, an Italian um, fella. He's from the Alps and he's best mate in his home village their family were the cheese-making family in that village and had been for hundreds of years. And so obviously we went there for a morning to watch and it was seven cows underneath the house got milked of a morning. You carried the milk around in buckets and um, put it in a big copper pot over a Bunsen burner and a big wooden paddle and, you know, five hours later the, the curd's sitting in the hoops and from there he picked up yesterday's cheese and there was only two wheels made a day. And he carried them down into the cellar under the house. And when we walked into that cellar and saw all the cheese there and had a try, it was like just such an eye-opener of this is, this. Um, I mean, we should name names, but this is not bigger cheese. You know, this is something really special. It was so far removed from what we had experienced. In, you know, and Kel had done a, a short two-day cheese-making course and it was all about sterilisation and don't touch this and don't touch that. And yeah. And it was just he, he lived and breathed this cheese making and, and he'd done it, you know, for how you know, eight or nine generations. And we keep saying, how do you know? Like when, how do you know when the curd's ready? And he'd be like, put your hands in, you know, like eat it, taste it, try it, smell it, get involved. And I was like, are we allowed to do that? You know, I was, it was so far removed. And then it was just, it, yeah, it kind of opened our eyes up to a whole other world of cheese making. Walking into Neil's Yard Dairy in London and sort of, seeing cheeses that I'd only read about in books all sitting up, you know, on the shelves and then being allowed to try them. That was probably another moment. Thinking just that I remember feeling that that sort of sensation that I just hope one day I can have one of my cheeses up on that shelf. Yeah, that would be that's probably the end game for me. <laughs> just one that's of great. one of our cheeses there. Yeah. How far away do you think you are? And many, that's a tough question I get. Many, many years. Yeah. I was talking to one of the managers at Neil's Yard and, and I said, you don't have sort of too much international cheese. 
no, no. And I said, do you have any Australians? No. And I said, would you? And he said, if, if you do something different enough that it's not not available here, we'll take it. But it's, I, I think it's a, it's a long way away. It's a good dream to have, yeah. yeah. And is that why you've called one of the cheeses dream? Oh, no. Cheeses you know, <laughs> are all named after the cows. Oh, right. She's our quietest cow, Dream. She's off in dreamland all the time, so that was Dream. Pearl is our oldest cow, and we knew we were making our oldest cheese, the one that ages long, so that was Pearl. And we do another cheese now, Marilla, which is washed rind, and Marilla's the first crossbred cow that came milking into the herd, so it was a significant moment, so... They're the three cheeses. Amazing. And, again, I'm going to have to get photos of all of these cows. Absolutely. 26 cows milking farmhouse cheese is is amazing. And and I find it like – and probably this is getting off topic here. I'm just thinking out loud. It's like us, you know, people like us, you know, the collective going, you know, we need a 1,000 units. You know, does that help or hinder? It's like how to find that balance between – having a beautiful product getting in front of people but also reminding people that it's this is not a finite you don't just turn on a press a button and cheese comes out like yes this is a it's, it's this a is lot an of, artisan product it's a lot of planning you know and when we do get big orders or when demand starts to increase for a certain cheese you know we really have to plan those makes and and you know months in advance kind of think about you know how much what season it is how much milk we'll be having on a daily basis and what what's the best use of that milk um and that's i think one of the great things is that now we are getting larger orders and and we have to fulfill them we can knock the bottled milk on the head so you know it's the the product that we don't particularly want to keep doing um but it was just a great way to to get started in the industry to be perfectly honest with this order particularly for for the mold collective this has been the catalyst from three years ago when we first made some cheese and then we took it to mold and I was very excited. I thought I'd just come back the next day and start making cheese every day and would never have to bottle milk again. And things like drought and fires and everything else kept popping up in the way or breakdowns and the milk was easy cash flow. It's it's not a great money maker for us but it's quick cash flow, quick turnover, keep the bank off our backs for another week, bottle some more milk, take it downtown, sell it, there you go. And that just we just got in that rhythm and rhythm and rhythm and, and with COVID and having a bit more time on the farm, Marlon and I worked out we just don't want to be that anymore. We want to be making cheese every day, slow everything down because with cheese making you can slow it down. And our three cheeses, we've slowed down the making of them a lot over the last two years. And that's part of why we're getting the quality and the flavour increase. And so we that's what we wanted to do. And we kept saying it over and over for the beginning of COVID. This yeah. is what we want to be doing. And then yeah. suddenly an order like yours comes in. And we go, right, that's it. And we go, well, that's it. Knock it on that's going to clean out so much cheese that after that, let's just make cheese. And yeah. I think we've got two weeks worth of milk bottles in the, in the storage shed at the moment. And when we haven't ordered any more. We're not going to. You almost need that catalyst, that little push over the edge because, you know, you kind of it is quite safe to do what you've always done and I think that's what we see in, in um, transitioning farms as well. You know, it's safe just to be on contract and, and provide milk to get picked up by a tanker and you get your milk check and all of that. But there is so much benefit if you can think a little bit more outside the box and think about on-farm production and, and getting involved in the cheese industry. And I, I really hope that we see more and more small producers taking that leap because 
you know, as scary as it is and, and you know, as much work and, and um, paperwork and logistics that there are to work out, it's such a fantastic, rewarding industry. And, the, you know, the people that we get to meet and the other cheesemakers that, you know, collaborate with us, it's, it's just been so welcoming and I can't think of anything else we'd both rather be doing. You know, we absolutely love it. So That's that's so great it's so great to hear and uh i i couldn't i couldn't agree with you more it's we sort of mentioned before before we started recording about defining the new normal throughout this period of everyone saying oh i want to go back to normal it's like well i don't really i don't know if i really want to go back to normal uh you know what do we want that new normal to be and it's exciting to hear that you are defining what that is for you guys yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of that is because we have the support that we do. You know, Australians are eating more and more Australian cheese and that's just so encouraging to see. Um, and, you know, you know whether it's because it's just buying habit or they, they aren't able to source some of the, um, the, the overseas cheeses at the moment. But, you know, people are loving it. And we're getting emails and, and messages on social media and people are like, I tried your cheese for the first time and, oh, my God, it's amazing. And it's like, huh. Great, thank you. You know, so we're seeing more and more of it happening, and it we, you know, we couldn't be more excited about where the Australian cheese industry is heading. So um, it's all up from here, I think. Yeah, absolutely, and that's one of the best things that I've loved about doing the festival. You know, but it's like it's actually going around the room. Everyone's like, I use a comparison to like wine festivals all the stuff that we do in the wine side. And go, what's the, what's your favourite wine? What should we taste here? And everyone asked me, like mates would ask me, okay, so who am I tasting here at Mold? And I'm like go to this one, this one's really good, that one's really good. And I kept going around going, just taste everything. Just don't stop because the quality of Australian cheese, it's mind-blowing. And as a restaurant industry wanker that I am and, we're, you know, we were we were trained that all the best cheeses come from France, but every time I go around, I'm continually blown away. Like, I can't remember the last time I've purchased um, cheese from outside of Australia. Not because it's different, I mean, Oh, look, I look. I love Comte. Like it's one of my favourite things, uh, you know. But then there's other cheese producers which is which are different or unapologetically Australian. You know, Australia makes the best Australian cheese in the world. Absolutely, yeah. and you know, one of our favourite things to do now is that we're delivering more cheese around around the state. Is you know, we stop in at, at cheesemongers and, and like, what can we what can we get in exchange? You know, like what what's good today? And we we're picking up other Australian cheeses that we bring home, and we get all excited and we unwrap them. And you know, there's something really um, fantastic about you know trying other other producers' cheeses. And oh, that's amazing! And we haven't had it. We haven't had that before. And it, you know, we we get a real kick out of it as well. And I think that's the kind of industry that it is. You know, we all want to see everyone succeeding and um and making fantastic cheese. And you know, yeah. We're talking about defining the new normal and uh, and going all in on cheese. Is there a type of cheese that you've wanted to do but haven't had the opportunity to do yet? What's next for the Pines? Funny, funny you ask. Uh, Cal just managed to purchase a new piece of equipment. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, it's a cheddar. Cheddar? Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um a simple cheddar. <laughs> Just a simple cheddar. Just exactly. a simple cheddar. <laughs> yeah. Nothing too involved. Yeah, I can't say whether it's sort of, you know, the throwback to the, our British heritage or whatever it is, but that's the sort of um, the first trip to England. I just didn't realise what cheddar meant. You know, growing up in Australia and you have cheddar, is, is it's not the same. <laughs> 
And that first time of going over there is, you know, mid-20s or something like that and thinking, wow, this is just incredible. Um, and then we were lucky enough to get onto a farm that makes one of the best cheddars in the world and they make a raw milk farm. And, and then not only were we on the farm, he said, oh, we'll just come in and, and watch the process. We, um, we, we totally lucked out. We just rocked up in the UK and we've been given a number from one of our reps saying, oh, I used to work in, in the Cadbury area. If you're ever in the, you know, if you're ever there, give this guy a call. He makes cheese. And we were like, yeah, cool. Had no idea who he was. Gave him a call out of the blue. It turned out, if, and if you know UK cheeses, everyone's heard of Montgomery's cheddar. We, we, we just called Jamie Montgomery and said, hey. We're Kalamala, we're from Clamour. Can we hey. rock up? And we, he was like, who are you? What do you want? I think we got him from as he was leaving a bar. Clamour? Yeah. And he's like, well, yeah, all right. Well, I'll be on farm tomorrow, 9 o'clock. Can you know? Sure, sure, I guess. Who? Yeah, what? Sure. <laughs> so we rock up and we didn't know who he was or what he was doing and we are like, holy mm. wow. Um, and he was so accommodating and he, <laughs> he was like, what's, what's your budget? And we are like, um. <laughs> zero dollars for equipment you know we're like we're doing it on the cheap and he was like well i guess you could convert this sort of equipment and this is you know what we do and yeah i guess you know we started out with this and then he showed us his maturation (laughs) warehouse this like entire (laughs) purpose-built barn and like opened the roller door and we were like oh (laughs) yeah he's a cheese maker oh (laughs) um and yeah since then you know we've enjoyed montgomery cheddar many times but we we're blown away by just the the integrity of the cheese and you know the heritage of it and and the flavor profiles you know coming out in this in these beautiful aged cheddars and we were like okay yeah all right That's yeah let's go yeah and then when you um the farmer came out so I'd go and look at the terrain green rolling hills lush grass lots of moisture um, that sort of us here in a typical year not so much the last couple but typical year lots of lots of fresh lush grass and that produces a certain type of milk and that milk will suit a cheddar so so how far away are we i'm using the proverbial we from enjoying two years dan two uh, years two years I, 13 months we should have our new one the new equipment's due in a couple of weeks amazing uh, and so hopefully that'll be so every monday we've bottled milk now Monday morning, we get up and bottle all the milk from the weekend. We've been doing that for seven years. And in two Mondays' time, we get up and make cheddar on a Monday morning. I can't wait. That, that's so exciting. Um, guys, uh, thank you so much for, for talking to us at the Mold Collective. Uh, I love you both. You're absolute bloody legends. Thank you all so much for being part of the Mold Cheese Collective. Pleasure. We, we're stoked to be involved and we yeah. can't wait till we, we can uh, do some face-to-face catch-ups, hopefully soon. Thank you so much to everyone for tuning in for the Mold Cheese Collective podcast. We're all out sharing the good word about the best cheesemakers in Australia. But of course, we'd love to hear from you as to what cheese you love, where it's from, and even better, your thoughts on this podcast. It would really mean a lot if you would leave a rating or a comment or just share it with your mates. We have a heap more interviews to come, so be sure to stay tuned. But until next time, cheers. Cheers.